We are now up to part 13 of our series in Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. And my title is How to Live in the New Creation. So uh, my goal today is to see more clearly the pictures painted of the new creation in the Old Testament and in the New so that we can learn to live in this new creation, so that we can learn to live in this new creation. Very quick recap of the last four sermons on this topic. I am with you. We saw that uh, there's a new revelation to Abraham and Sarah of God being with them as he made a fresh start with humanity. And then we saw a word, chesed, which is a, a word that you can't really translate well into English apart from saying it's the kind of love that will never let you go. And we saw through stories of how God relates to humanity this uh, kind of love that he shows to people, this utterly faithful love. And when you really understand it, there's no more word that's more beautiful. And then we've... Uh, begun three parts on the new creation. The first was the big story of the Bible, just looking at how it's the big arc of Scripture. And then last time we looked at the new creation, how it started with a new Eden and Garden of Eden imagery through the Bible. And and uh, one of the stories that I told was of uh, my friend Larry, who had a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. And how this goldfish would just go round and round and round the bowl, the bowl all the, all the day. And he got, um, sorry for it and made a huge outdoor pond for it. And eventually when it was all finished, he took the goldfish in its bowl and gently put it into the pond. So the goldfish now had this huge, um, emporium and, uh, a little later he went back to see how it was getting on and it had found a patch between some of the weeds and it was just swimming round and round and round in that little area. And uh, it was so, so sad because it's like it still had so much of the old within it. It hadn't really, it couldn't really come to grips with the new. And we saw that as, as a metaphor for what it's like for us, even though we have the freedom of the new, yet sometimes we can actually be constrained in our minds to living in the old. And so this week, uh, how to live in the new creation, and three parts, spotting new creation themes in the Old Testament. Then Jesus inaugurates the new creation. And then how do we live in the new? So first of all, then spotting new creation themes in the Old Testament. Uh, our reading of the Old Testament will be richer if we see this theme. And it starts out with some indirect allusions and it ends with a strong, clear proclamation of what God is going to do, this new thing that he's going to do. So one of the themes is the creation week theme, the six days of creation and then the rest. And so we see the creation week. Uh, we see a Sabbath rest on the seventh day, which is a Saturday. And this was a strong theme in the Old Testament. Um, but there were some rituals that were to be performed on the eighth day. 
That's the first day of the new week. So, for example, circumcision, some of the festival, festival events were specifically on the eighth day, the first day of a new week. And uh, jumping ahead to the New Testament, Jesus rose from the dead on the eighth day, which is the first day of the new week, the Sunday. And it's uh, tying into this creation theme, this new creation theme that was hinted at in the old. Also, Jesus picks up on the Sabbath quite strongly, and he often did miracles on the Sabbath. So one example would be John chapter 5, and we read, Now, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began persecuting him. So he told them, My father is working up to the present, and I too am working. Well, this is a strange thing to say, but basically, (laughs) Jesus is saying, Okay, well, God had his rest, and he started working again. Something new is happening, and I'm working as part of this, as to, to, to serve the Father. And so a new work is beginning. Um, so Jesus is tying in to the creation week idea, the rest, and then starting again with something new. <clears throat> but I'd like to look at the prophets now, and I'd like to see some of the clear prophecies of a new creation. And I'm going to look at Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, and then ending in Isaiah. Now, I find this one really cool. This is a reversal creation theme at the beginning of Jeremiah. And I I really like this. Israel's become so hopelessly wicked that God's going to make a completely new start with them. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked, and behold... There was no human, and all the birds of the air had fled. For thus saith the Lord, the whole land shall be a desolation. For this the earth shall mourn, and the heavens above be dark. For I have spoken. Just as he spoke to bring creation, like this is the reversal of creation. And this is, um, as he goes through, he's prophetically speaking of Israel being recreated in, in they're in captivity and they're going to return to the land but really that's just a picture of the great new creation that's going to happen and uh, he he uses this he returns to this theme later on in the book and in Jeremiah 31 he says behold the days are coming declares the Lord well I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and we read in Hebrews that we are part of that It's not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So this is the new covenant, which is very similar to new creation. They're kind of similar ideas here. And uh, so this is the, there are various things then in, in Jeremiah which speak of God doing this radical new thing. But I'm going to move over to Ezekiel, because there's a great uh, prophecy in Ezekiel. And this is uh, in Ezekiel chapter 37. And you're probably probably familiar with this, but this is the the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. So, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me 
out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And this is evoking um, Adam and Eve. God's breath was put into Adam and he became a living being. So this is breath. Uh, And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and the skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. This is kind of almost like some zombie imagery here. <laughs> and uh, um, then, um, then we read, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath and literally prophesy to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath or the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We're indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. And when we look in the New Testament, when we look particularly at Paul's letters to the to Corinth, we see that this spirit being put on them is being baptized by God's spirit into his body and having his new life. The old man, um, the old Adam was made from dust, but the new creation is made of the spirit. And so this is prophesying in this rather strange language about this new kind of humanity, which would actually be inbreathed by the spirit, which is something new beyond what was there before. So uh, that's Ezekiel. And now I'd like to look at Isaiah, which is the most explicit amongst the prophets speaking of the new creation. And we read in Isaiah 43, 18, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
and then he goes on and describes it and then comes to the, the full clarity in Isaiah 65, which is right at the end of the book. He says, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, I don't think that means that we'll have complete amnesia about this life. I think it just means that there will, that we, we won't have any sadness from remembering this, what's happened in this life. There won't be any pain from the past in this life. So this is just a wonderful, clear prophecy that culminating at the end of Isaiah speaking of what God is going to do in the new creation. So now I'd like to move through and to see how this is inaugurated in the new, particularly by Jesus. So we've looked then at spotting new creation themes in the Old Testament. Now Jesus inaugurating the new, and we're going to move towards how we live in the new. So in John chapter 1, as I've mentioned before, I, I, I preached on this uh, around uh, December. Um, we have some amazing creation language referring to light. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And of course, that's very similar to uh, the, the Bible. Genesis opening with this in the beginning. And then we have he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That's the old creation. But in him was the life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So now Jesus has come and he is the light. And just as he, through his light, created the old, we now have him coming in the new. And John goes on to describe how Jesus came and John was a witness to this light and how this light actually was the, the, the means of salvation. So Jesus then is the light fulfilling this picture, this Old Testament picture. I already mentioned the Sabbath and Jesus saying that, that God is, God is working again now and, and I'm working. Um, now one interesting thing is that Jesus didn't use the word new creation. But he did use the word kingdom of God. And it's pretty much identical in meaning to new creation. The kingdom of God is pretty much the same. So um, if I was to ask you how we, how we are to enter the new creation, given that it's the same as kingdom, can, can you tell me, how do we enter the kingdom? Anybody guess? Well, if you were here in front of me physically, I'd expect some answers from people. <laughs> Maybe. Believe, in Believe in Jesus. Okay. Believe in Jesus. So uh, uh, being born of the spirit. How is that? Being born from above. That's really, it's the new birth. Um, and uh, John chapter three, of course, this is exactly the question. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, that's literally what it means. It's often translated born again, but literally it's born from above. He cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, cannot see the new creation. Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and the spirit, 
cannot enter the kingdom of God. So again, the idea of being born of the Spirit, same as in the prophecy of the dry bones in Ezekiel. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And this is perfectly, beautifully comparing old creation and new creation. Old creation, we're born through our parents on a line that goes right back to Adam and Eve, um, of the flesh, literally of the flesh, flesh and blood. What is born of the Spirit is a new kind of birth, which is into this new creation. So you can't really get any clearer than that. And if if today you're hearing this and you're not sure whether you're a member of the new creation, you're not sure whether this is you, then it's very clear here that it's actually by believing in Jesus and making him our Lord that we enter the new creation. I don't have all the verses here, but of course, John 3.16 and many other places in, in John, it, Jesus is very clear. If you believe me, if, if I'm your Lord, then you will enter, the life of the Spirit will come into you and you will enter the new creation. So trust him for your salvation and make him your Lord. So <clears throat> that was uh, fairly briefly uh, spotting new creation themes in the Old Testament and Jesus inaugurating the new creation. But of course, what we really want to see today is how this applies to, practically to our lives. How do we actually live in the new? So that's what I want to spend the rest of the time talking about. How do we live in this and exactly what is different? So one theme that keeps coming up in the New Testament in the context of new creation and new creation behavior is the theme of love. So let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So in other words, that's our, our old creation dying, part of us that's in the old, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So um, describing then, it's the love of Christ. Being in the new is about the love of Christ controlling you. Now, the question that comes up is, how do we have the strength to do this? How can I live a life of loving? Is that I just have to grit my teeth and do it? And again, um, Paul answers that in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, similar wording to before. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And uh, in Paul, he very closely links together the spirit in us and Christ in us, because it is through the spirit Christ lives in us. Um, Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to come and be with you. I'm going to send the spirit. And so it's through the spirit in us that actually Christ is living in us. There's no difference in our experience of Christ and our experience of the spirit in this way. So, 
it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what he's saying is that um, there's a power living in me now, which I have to connect with. And this power is actually able to live this new life. And uh, so uh, the other pl- the other writer of the New Testament who's really, really clear on this is John, of course. John, people have called him the Apostle of Love. And his, his epistle, particularly his first epistle, is one that is very, very clear in this theme. And so I'm going to read quite a few verses from here because I think it's so important. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I've just put born of God in italics to highlight it, because that's a really powerful theme, the idea that it's not we don't not something inherited from our physical parents, but it's like we carry God's DNA, and because God is love then and we carry his dna then this love is in us it's an amazing picture so he says let love one another because you've got you're born of god you've actually got this in you so this is very interesting and then he says it the other way around anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love so it's actually a sign that you have the life of jesus in you if you love. And of course, Jesus puts this into practice on in Matthew chapter 25, when he's talking about the day of judgment, and he's dividing the sheep from the goats. And what defines somebody as being a sheep that they loved? It's loving one another. That is the marker. It's not that we earn our way to salvation. It's that the marker that we have life. It's evidence of life within us. It's, it's that we love. And so uh, let's go on then. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we may live, might live through him. So new creation language. We're living through him and he came to bring the love of God. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means turning away God's anger, bring us back into relationship with God for our sins. And this is his love. And it's it's actually his love for us that's initiated things, not any love that we had for him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So once again, new creation language linked very closely with the language of loving one another. And of course, Jesus gave the new commandment to love one another. And um, so let's a couple more verses here. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in in us and his love is perfected in us and of course this is a statement of the new creation why does he abide in us because new creation life is in us it's the life of the spirit god abiding us through the god abiding in us through the spirit 
causes this love that's within us. And then the last verse I'm going to read is verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. And so you, I've highlighted the love words all the way through this block here. And you can see from verse 7 right the way through really the same theme. It's just such a, a clear and powerful passage linking together the life of God within us, abiding, living within us with it being expressed in love. So this then is my, my, my main contention that the expression of the new creation looks like love. And, um, of course, just saying love is a little vague. Um, what does love mean? And I would say that probably the most explicit pa- passage in the scripture that links together the, uh, this, the new creation and our behavior is Colossians chapter three. And this is where I would like to, this is the last scripture that I'm going to be reading today. And I would like to really land with this because I think it's so powerful. So Paul in the first two chapters has been talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how we're united with him. We're joined with him in his death and in his resurrection. So he's established the truth. And then he comes on to apply what the new creation looks like in our lives. So I know we're going to take some time to look at this because it's so important. Colossians chapter 3, starting verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So, you know, he's the first in the new creation. Jesus inaugurated it. So, um, you, you, you look to that. Set your minds on things that are above. In other words, things that belong to the new creation, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, of course, we are members of the new creation in an invisible way right now. But Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, you will have a physical manifestation of your new creation. You will have new creation bodies. And so he's laying down in those first four verses the principle that being raised with Christ means that we should seek what belongs to this resurrection life. So then he, he applies it from now on. So what does it mean to do this? Well. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So this is interesting because he's saying that you died, but nevertheless, there are some vestiges that are in there. There's some bits that are in there. Um, I used the illustration earlier on in the series of um, of when you're there's a a vaccine against COVID and you've got You've had the vaccine, maybe, or you've had something that will prevent you actually getting it seriously. But nevertheless, your body still has to have an immune response against 
uh, COVID and there's, there's a battle that goes on. You're going to win it, though. You know you're going to win. Your body's inevitably going to win it because you now have this new power in you. Uh, but there is a battle. And so what he's saying here is that even though you've died with Christ, yet there is still some of the old there which you have to deal with. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. So this is interesting because up till now, we've just had the positive side, you know, love, love, love. But this is like the opposite to love, what shouldn't be there or shouldn't be there. And it's interesting, actually, people have, have suggested that Paul particularly picks out sexual immorality and things like that because they are like, they are so dangerous in a community which is trying to base itself on love because um, if you're trying to do that and there's a, there's a, a fake love, like a, a love with ulterior motives going on, it can be so destructive in a community which is trying to build itself on love because it's really, um, can be devastatingly damaging. So we need to have a pure love. And so this is why he starts off with that, but also talks about evil desire, covetousness, which would be wanting things, possessions, um, things that belong to this world. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So, then he, he expands on this a bit about how they must now live. But now you must put them all away. And now this is again the opposite to love. Anger, wrath. Now, I'm not, not all anger. He Paul is very clear in the, in the Bible. Not all anger is wrong, but it's an anger. It's, uh, it's an anger that's, um, unjust and damaging that's wrong. And God is angry with injustice and it's right for us to be angry with injustice but here it's talking about um um an anger that's devoid of love anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth so all of these things are are damage love the opposite do not lie to one another i'm lying to another person is like the opposite of loving them seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So this is, this is interesting. He's tying this on to the old creation. You've put off the old creation part of you. So don't do anything connected with it and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here then, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, that's another nationality, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's saying all these categories are connected with the old, but in the new, there's not categories. So you don't judge somebody on some old creation standard, um, whether you're, they're, they're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever, um, because in the new, we are all in Christ. <clears throat> and then he's going to the positive side then. He's dealt with the negative. He's going to the positive. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So these are all unpacking what the love means, different aspects of it. Bearing with one another, that means when somebody is 
you know, hard to put up with, but you, you do it out of love. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So that beautifully puts together what it means to love, what it means to live in this new creation. So um, I'm going to come now to my last slide and I'm going to talk now about how we might take steps to put this into practice in our lives. And I'm going to, to start by suggesting this. God has put a piece of eternity inside us. You are called to live out of this new reality. Isn't that phenomenal? If we're Christians, then there's actually a piece of eternity in us. It's there in us. And God has told us that every bit of the love of Jesus that we show to another person is made of the stuff of eternity. And that means that nothing you do for God will be lost. These things will survive until the end of time. This is extraordinary. But when you're loving another with the love of Christ, you're doing stuff which has got eternal value. So we have a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, thank you, God, that you have given us the victory. He's given us the victory. And I want to say, well, I want to really think about how this happens. And from all these verses we've been looking at, and this is the last thing I'm going to say now, all these verses, it seems that what we need to do is to look inside us and find the voice of our new person, to find the voice of this new life that's created in the spirit within us. Find this new voice and you'll find there's the old voice there telling you, ah, oh, you don't need to treat this person. They don't deserve anything. And the new voice that says, you're new. You've got Christ loving you. This is what you should do for them. And we have a choice. Are we going to hear the old voice or are we going to hear the new voice? Um, if we're in the old creation, we don't have a choice. We will follow um, the old. But if we have the love of Jesus within us, we have the choice to listen to that voice. And so the challenge for you today is to learn to listen to that voice, to recognize it. And this, I wanted to read that passage in Colossians because that's giving us markers of what this new voice sounds like. So, and what the old voice sounds like as well, of course, half of it was about the old voice because Paul wants us to get used to hearing which voice is which. We must keep listening for the new and live out of this. Live out of the new us. And when we respond to it, it's grasping our new identity. 
And as Paul says, thank you, God, you've given us the victory. We actually have the power to live in this way. Thank you, God, for the amazing new thing you're doing inside us. Well, let's close in prayer, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for this extraordinary thing that you have actually made us new beings, but you've actually put your DNA in us so that we are are your children in a very unique way. We're your children in a way that they were not before. Thank you, God, that we have your life within us and we have this power of Jesus to live out of and to have victory. Lord God, I want to pray for all of us here that we will experience this. This won't just be a set of of, of theoretical teachings that stay on the page of Scripture, but it may come from the pages of Scripture and into our hearts as we learn to live in the power of the new and love with the love of God which is in us. Help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.